Uh, back in 1987, there was an Englishman. His name is Richard Paul Ashley. And he vowed in a very public way, um, made some vows to the object of his affections, that the object of his affections, his love could count on him to never do five specific things. And he broadcast this all over the world. It's possible that you may have overheard these assurances that he announced at some point. Uh, Richard Ashley, who is better known as Rick Ashley, uh, promised, I'm never going to give you up. I'm never going to let you down. I'm never going to run around and desert you. I'm never going to make you cry. I'm never going to say goodbye. I'm never going to tell a lie and hurt you. Now, for those of you who are familiar with 80s music, you are giggling underneath, and I realize that having heard those lyrics, they're going to be lodged deep inside your brains for the rest of the day, and for that, I apologize. Um, but the point is, is that he expressed his love by articulating some things that he would not do. He spelled them out, and, and there's something to that, because when it comes to loving relationships, what we choose not to do matters as much as we choose what we choose to do. And, and, and that's where we're at this morning. We, we've been making our way this summer through the famous love chapter of the Bible, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And the whole thing is about cultivating um, the attributes of God's kind of love, what it looks like, and, 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 and what happens when his love is flowing through our lives, when it's overflowing from our lives to the way that we love the people around us. And uh, in case you're wondering, God's love is good for your life and for your relationships. It's a transformational kind of thing. It's the kind of love that our marriages need and our families need and our friendships and all of our relationships are in desperate need for more of this kind of love that we see here. So, Good things tend to take shape on a relational level when we take the time to be patient, to be kind with the people who need that. When, when we dial down the envy and the boasting, the arrogance and the rudeness, when instead of insisting, no, we're going to do this my way, that we're, we're open to options, right? Maybe there's another way to go about this. When, when the irritability and the resentment go out of business in our hearts permanently. So, so this is a snapshot, this chapter of the kind of love that we all need more of. And, and here's the thing, it's one thing to talk about it, but it's a whole other thing to actually live out these attributes in the spaces that they're needed on a day-to-day -day basis. And, and, and that's the challenge of it. I, I've been trying to make a point each week to emphasize that living out God's love is not attainable by human effort. So this cannot be done in our own strength and power. It does not work. And you probably have figured that out already, right? How many times have you said, I really need to be patient. I need to be, but I'm just not, right? Join the club. That, that applies to all of us. None of us are on our own. And, and here's the thing. Sometimes the prescription we try for is, I just got to try a little harder. Have you figured out that trying harder doesn't help? Right? Um, it is just 
too much for us because our love is, is limited. It's, it's God's love that is unlimited. And so that's the point, is to be tapped into him. So the only way any of these attributes we're looking at can move from the ideal realm um, to the reality realm is as we keep our hearts locked on to the Lord. That's it. Every attribute is always going to bring us back to our desperate dependence on him. So if we want the love of God, we're going to have to draw it from the God of love. That's, that's how the whole thing works. So we've already looked at how God's love is patient and how it's kind. And now we're at the Rick Astley part. We've come to the eight things that love is not, that love does not do. And so let me read through them. It says this, Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. So you might call these, I kind of come to think of them as love lids, right? These are the attitudes that when they're there, they're going to get in the way of us loving others the way that they need, that we want to. And, and so the point being where we see them surfacing in our own lives to, to do three things, to first recognize them, to second get to the root of what's causing them, and then finally to replace them with something better. That's how the lid comes off. And, and so we said there's eight love lids in total here. And this morning, we're going to just start out by looking at the first three, envy, boasting, and arrogance. Uh, to look at them as a package deal, you could say this basically, I cannot say I love you as long as my main concern revolves around me. It's self-love or, or what we often just call plain old selfishness. So when what really matters most to me is me. And so Self-love is willing to love people for what they can do for me, but, but in the end, selfish love is here to take. It's not to give. Selfish love is it's utterly incompatible with the serving, sacrificial love of God. So let's look at the different lids. Lid number one is love does not envy. Uh, the, the Greek word for envy is the same word where, where zealous comes from. In, in this context, it's just referring to simply uh, overdone desires. It's fixating on something that you don't have and then wanting it too much in an out-of-bounds way where someone will say, I will do whatever it takes to get what I'm after. That's, that's where the compromises start. That's where instead of using things and loving people, we end up loving things and using people to get what we want. And it's probably no secret that when people feel used instead of loved, relationships start breaking down. It's inevitable. So, so love does not envy, and it also, it says, it does not boast. So boasting is kind of like the flip side of envy, right? Boasting is wanting to be the envy of others. And we do that by by showcasing ourselves, putting ourselves in the spotlight. Look at me. Look at my accomplishments. Look at what I can do. Sometimes we call it braggadocia, right? The intoxication 
of being impressive. Or Billy Joel would describe it as having to be a big shot, right? And simply stated, that's, that's not love. Love does not envy, it does not boast, and it also is not arrogant. The, the literal translation of arrogant is puffed up. So when you hear the phrase, man, that guy's got a big head, that's accurate. That's, that comes from the Greek, puffed up, having an inflated view of ourselves, this false belief that for whatever reason, I see myself as better. I matter more. And this issue of arrogance, that's, this is the one in particular that Paul has been challenging the, the Corinthian church to deal with all throughout this letter that we've been looking at. So it's kind of the subject of spiritual pride. Spiritual pride, it's a real thing. It can go unchecked in many church settings. And it needs to be called out because pride sets up the best of people and the best of churches to take a fall, to take a big fall. You see, you see, pride can latch on to the very best attribute that we have, the best thing about you. Once pride attaches itself to you and latches on, it ruins everything. The whole thing turns rotten. So in the Corinthian church, it had, it had latched on to their spiritual gifts, right? These these good things, these Holy Spirit empowerments to, to do kingdom ministry. Great work. But once pride set in, they got peffed up. They started getting inflated about themselves. I matter more. I'm better than the rest because of what I can do for the church. Arrogance. It's just incompatible with God's unconditional, what we say, agape kind of love. So here's the question. Uh, can any of us here in this room this morning think of a single time when envy or boasting or arrogance had any kind of positive effect on your relationships? Anytime. Like, has anyone ever told you, you know what, I just love it when you get envious? Like, you know, your discontentment is your best quality. Or... Have you ever heard someone said, oh, no, by all means, please continue to brag. I want to hear more. Tell me more about all the amazing things you've done. I can't get enough of listening to you making it all about you, right? Or, or arrogance. You know, your arrogance is your finest feature. When you come across like you are the smartest guy in the room and you dismiss and belittle everyone else, I, I just feel so connected to you, Right? That, that doesn't happen. And if it does happen, that's a pretty good indication that there's something wrong with that relationship. Something needs to be addressed. But, but then think about the opposite, right? We, we see the opposite happen so oftentimes. These attitudes are, are responsible for so much relational damage. I, I doubt any of us have to look too far back in any of our lives to recall a time we had to deal with these attitudes, maybe from a coworker, maybe from a family member, a friend, or the reality is that the person we're most likely to see them in is, is ourselves. And so that's kind of the first part of taking these love lids off is looking at ourselves and getting real about the selfishness that's residing in our own hearts. See, the reality is it's not just them out there, it's, 
It's me. It's right, me. It's right here. It's in me. It's, and, and, and there's this temptation to be aware of, to deflect, right? And there's lots of easy targets where we can just say, man, look at that guy. He is so arrogant. Like, you know, Kanye. Dude, that guy's got, that's not easy. He didn't even change his name. He's not even Kanye anymore. This guy's got issues. I hope that guy gets some help, right? He's just like all the rest of those celebrities. They're so full of themselves. I'm so glad I'm not like them, right? And that conversation can get cut and pasted in so many ways. And, but, but here's the newsflash. If you pop open the hood of any one of our lives, we're going to find the same things there. Maybe to a lesser degree, but they're, they're there. And, and, and I know for myself, I'm not above wanting things I don't have or, or making things too much about myself or believing I'm better than the rest for whatever reason. This is, this is the ugliness that's there in our own hearts. And so that's step one, just recognizing. And then step two goes to how did the selfishness get here? Right? First, recognize, then get to the root of it. What envy, boasting, and arrogance, all three of them share in common is this common concern with comparing myself to someone else. It's the byproduct of defining our lives by how we measure up to those around us. It's either I want something that you have Right? Or I have something you want. The nicer car, the bigger house, the better job, the brighter smile, the more impressive family photo. These are the measurements of what we think matter. And it comes down to this, this way of life where it's me versus you. And that's the root cause of so much relational ugliness because there's no room to love in that equation. So I don't know if you've noticed this, but envy has kind of turned into a full-blown marketing strategy these days, right? There's a reason for it because it works. So I remember seeing this advertisement, be the envy of your neighborhood. And there's a picture of a guy on a brand new green, shiny lawnmower, ride-on lawnmower, the best, newest lawnmower. The thought is like, everyone will see you on it, and they'll want to be you. And middle-aged men around the country fall for it all the time, right? <laughs> I want that tractor. No, I need that tractor. And then it's not until a week after they buy that $8,000 tractor that they figure out, no one cares about what I'm using to mow my lawn, and I just blew $8,000 on something I don't need. Uh, that's what's behind envy. What about boasting and bragging? Isn't it the, the lie that I matter so long as people applaud me? Right? That's, that's why I need to be noticed. My significance is the byproduct of, of people's approval. How many likes did my post get? Right? This crazy world we live in, this social media world has turned into this never-ending popularity contest. And the approval of others is what validates my existence. And that is a scary, tragic 
way to do life. That's what's behind boasting. And how about arrogance? It's, it's sort of like this, this deception, this lie that average isn't good enough. You only matter if you're better than the rest. And that lie can get instilled in us in so many different ways. But the focus of all three of them is that it's about me. It's this self-centered love that's the diametrical opposite of the unconditional love that God seeks to give to others instead of taking from them. And so if that's the root, the question is then, what are we going to do about this? This is a problem. This is blowing up relationships. So first got to realize it. Then we got to get to the root of what's causing it. And then the last step is just simply to, to replace it with something better. So when we see the selfishness surfacing in our lives, to, to carry it to the cross and crucify it. And that involves dropping the lie and picking up the truth. And so the questions are good, right? Do you matter? Do I matter? Like this is one of the basic questions of life. What makes me matter? If you look at the cross, it'll tell you everything. If you understand the gospel, you'll understand that you matter because you are made in the image of God, unique and special. You matter because Jesus, the one and only Son of God, left his throne in heaven. He came here to earth. He went to the cross, gave up his life to redeem you. The God who made you, the God who doesn't need anything from you, gave everything for you. And you don't need to impress him. You don't have to earn his approval. You don't have to prove that you're worthy. The cross has already settled all of that once and for all. And so the life that we have in Christ, it's about living as, as God's beloved. We don't live for God's approval. We live from his approval. Jesus did that all. And here's what it's getting at. There's so much of the selfishness that we have such a hard time wrestling with. It, it stems from trying to, to get from people what really can only come from God. Think about that. Getting, trying to get from people what really can only come from God. And so Jesus is the place, he is the one where our identity, where our significance comes from. It's not because of what you have, it's because of the one who has you. It's not because of the accomplishments that we can brag about. It's because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. It's not because of how good we are. It's about how good he is. And when that reality starts sinking in, when it starts seeping into our hearts at a foundational level, it is a game changer. When your Savior is the one who defines you, who you are, why you matter, what you're here for. That's when the grip of selfishness, it doesn't just come off because we still matter to people. We care about what people think of us, but, but we stop needing to get from people and that frees us to be able to love them instead. I said this before, the best thing about uh, being married to my wife, Diane, is that she loves God more than she loves me. And that gives her the capacity to love me more and better. And believe me, I need a lot of it. Um, but, uh, 
But the best advice I give to anyone looking for a spouse is to find someone who loves Jesus more than they love you. You won't go wrong. And so when the other pieces start finding the right place after, after, after we get that primary identity def defining who we are right, and, and so we start replacing the lies with the truth. And, and so what's the replacement for envy? It's contentment. And it turns to Psalm 16, verses 5 to 6. I find this one is like weed killer on envy. Anytime it starts sprouting in my life, it says this, Lord, you have assigned to me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. That's contentment. Doesn't mean I have it all. But man, what I have is good, isn't it? What you have is good. There's still things that we'd like to see happen, but there's this intentional choice to be grateful for what I have instead of being envious and discontent about all the things that I don't. Contentment is a replacement for envy. The replacement to boasting is simply building others up. So instead of always trying to put myself center stage, it's asking the question, how can I use what I've got to bring out the best in someone else, to serve, to encourage them, to build them up. And, and that's the point Paul's making in this book about the whole point of spiritual gifts, that it's not about you to showcase yourself. It's about blessing others and building up the church. So the replacement to boasting is building others up. And the replacement for arrogance, I, I think it's serving. It reminds me of the story in Mark 10. James and John, two of Jesus' closest disciples, they go to him and they ask him, hey, Jesus, when you start your reign and your kingdom's all set up, we have a request granted to us to sit at your left and your right. In other words, we want to be the greatest. We want the second highest position of privilege. We want that. See, their goal was to be the greatest, and Jesus kind of flips the whole thing, and he says, that's not how my kingdom works. He says, that's, that's how this world works. That's the things that they chase after. But in my kingdom, true greatness is found in serving. He says, whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave to all, for even the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's the model he laid out. And I just would ask you to think about and ponder, hasn't that played out? Hasn't that shown itself to be true? That you can get everything you want, you can chase after building up your own kingdom and getting everything so you're at this place of privilege and people are serving you and just, there's so many examples of people who are, have everything and are miserable. And yet some of the most content people in the world are the ones who are not striving to get everything. They're not trying to get as high as they can get, but they're trying to go as low as they can go. Stooping to serve. That's where the life of significance is found. And it's so much better than just trying to prop ourselves out. So these are the lids. And there's, there's lids. They're there in all of our lives. But the good news is that they don't have to stay there. Lids are meant to be taken off. They're removable. 
The lids are the things that love doesn't do. So love doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not arrogant. And so the question to leave here with and think about and, and to look at ourselves is say, where am I finding myself envying and boasting and demonstrating arrogance? Where am I trying to take from people what really can only ultimately come from God? Whatever that is, I just challenge you to lay it down because there is something that is so much better, so much more that God has in mind for you to pick up and it's found in him. So today, let's pick it up. Let's put it on and let's live out the life of love.